Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Good morning. Um, as uh, Michael mentioned, this uh, series is, is an important one, I think, because if we're going to learn how to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we need to have an awareness of what those different dimensions are. And, and sadly, I think, having been part of churches for most of my life, I think we have emphasized certain aspects more than other aspects, and we've ignored certain aspects, right? We haven't allowed the work of the Holy Spirit even to percolate down into the ways uh, that uh, we, we, uh, we show up for one another or not, right? And uh, last week, we talked about kind of a, a, a framework to get underneath the surface, the you know, three quarters of the iceberg of our soul that's invisible, sometimes even parts of it to us, and invite the Holy Spirit to sit with us and search our hearts and to become aware of those things. And my hope is that over the course of these next few weeks during the summer, if you can take some space and time to create space for that inner conversation, that partnership with the Holy Spirit to kind of look beneath the surface uh, in some specific areas. Today we'll look at, 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 a, at a, a, a couple of, of specific things uh, to, to move us towards uh, becoming, again, the goal here is not simply so that we can be uh, emotionally healthy and spiritually healthy and grow to be fully formed disciples of Jesus. All of that is instrumental. We want to be useful, right? We want to be useful to Jesus in uh, saving Long Beach. Uh, he really loves this city, really loves these communities around us, really loves the people who live in the streets and the homes around us and wherever it is that you happen to live. And if we are uh, reactionary in our responses to our neighbors, uh, if we are acting out of uh, the way we were parented, for example, uh, if we are reacting to messages that have penetrated our souls that we aren't even anymore aware of where they came from, but we recognize, oh, that I do this every single time, then we will be less than useful to partner with Jesus in saving the world. Does that make sense? So that's what we're going to push into uh, over these next few weeks. Today, particularly, we're going to look at breaking the power of the past, breaking the power of the past, and this works in two primary ways. One is the family system that we grew up in has been the single greatest influence on who we are now. You don't always see it. You don't always recognize it. Most of it is muscle memory. Most of it is the ruts you were trained to run in emotionally, right? And we joke about it. We laugh about it. And some of it is a joke. Some of it is an occasion for laughter, right? I mean, sometimes even, even the genetic... Uh, DNA way that we negotiate. Uh, uh, a few years ago, uh, my family and I were sitting uh, in my aunt's backyard in Lethbridge, Alberta, following uh, my cousin's wedding on the way to the reception, and all of my dad's remaining siblings were sitting in, the, in a circle. So all of these old people, <laughs> right? And my son uh, leaned over to me and said, Dad, look at the napkins. Every one of my dad's siblings, including my dad, 
were our napkin shredders. You, you know what I mean? It's just, it's just a nervous gesture. We just, we just do it. And then I looked down and, and then I looked over and the through line. Now, that's innocuous, right? I mean, unless you're a napkin, it's probably not that big a deal that you happen to find yourself in a circle of napkin shredders. Um, but my anger comes from my dad in the same way, who learned it from his dad. Do, do, do you see? Um, and so it's those kinds of things that we want to be aware of because to deny something is to give it power over us because it still happened and it's still going to influence us, right? What gets denied gets repeated. Sometimes we don't even deny it. We, we recognize, oh, I hated this about the way I was parented. I hated this about my mom and dad's marriage. I hated this about, about, about. And so instead of denying it, we lean into it, but then we try and fix it by reversing it. I'm not going to be that. I'm not going to do that. And we drive the car in the ditch on the other side of the road, right? Uh, and what Jesus wants to do is say, bring it all. Come on. Let's, you, don't, you don't know what's good or bad. You don't, you don't know what I want to redeem. You don't know what I want to use. Some stuff, I'll just heal you completely of it. And other stuff, I'm going, I want to use that. And, and particularly, this is challenging for those of us who have been parented in single families, parented in families for whom we, uh, we don't ha have a genetic, we were adopted. And our genetic background was shaped by the family system in which we grew up, right? So now we've, all of a sudden, we have this part of us that's mystery. I don't know where that came from until perhaps you maybe connect with a, a birth mom or dad or siblings, right? Oh, that, oh, yeah, right? And sometimes it's like, no, this is the way I was socialized. You, you've seen the, seen the movies, the recent one come out on triplets, right? Kids that were, in this particular case, this documentary released this summer of three boys, three, yeah, three boys, who were, uh, uh, as an experiment, separated at birth into a foster care system that, that deliberately and intentionally put them with three different homes as a social science experiment to determine how much is nature and how much is nurture. Well, we've all been raised by wolves, all of us. There's no family since Genesis 2, Genesis 3, that is not dysfunctional, right? No, let me say that again, because some of you come from wonderfully supportive and rich and vibrant and beautiful families, and you are ready to throw things at me right now. No, you don't understand. My family was perfect. Ask your spouse. <laughs> What's it like to come into perfect? Right? It might be that the, that, that the price of perfect was nobody talks about anything. It might be that the price of perfect was we just sweep stuff under the rug. It might be that the price of perfect is that everybody has to be like everybody else, and happiness means we all get along, which means that I can't think differently than anybody else in my system. If you look around in most perfect families, you'll find one person at least who carries the pain of the whole system. The black sheep, and if you don't know who that is, it might be you. <laughs> so that's one thing, the, the ways that our families have shaped us, either knowingly or unknowingly. Second, is the ways that uh, difficult and painful 
circumstances occurred to us, things that we have done to ourselves, things that we have said, things that have been said to us, sometimes by parents, but sometimes by other, other folks, have shaped the ways that, for example, I'm, I'm walking with a young man who after a number of uh, challenging, challenging relationships has discovered that he makes lousy choices relative to women. Now, why is that the case? And we finally have come to an awareness. There's probably a number of factors that go into that, but he determined when he was 15, 16 years of old, age, uh, when he poured his heart out to his first love, and she laughed at him out of her awkwardness. She didn't know how to respond. She wasn't meaning anything malicious by it. She wasn't meaning anything mean by it. She just didn't know how to handle a 16-year-old boy's effusive emotion. Didn't know how to handle it. But he spun that into a rejection that has driven his relationships with women since that point. Do you see what I'm saying? And it was like sitting back and realizing, oh my God, oh, I only date people that I can help. I only let them get close enough. And when they get too close, we blow it up. Oh. Okay, now, 20 years. Responding to an in innocuous, my, 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 my dad, uh, similar kinds of things. Uh, uh, my, my, let me do it this way. Uh, my first... Um, uh, a visit in the hospital for a suicide attempt was a beauty pageant contest winner who at 22 still has as, had as the loudest voice in her head her dad's comment when she came down for breakfast one morning when she was 13 and her body was assuming adult form that she was chunky. She was terrified at 22 the tiara still in her hand that somebody would find out that he was true and the rest of y'all were lying. Does this happen? I just got to tell you, it happens. It happens. Why does it happen? Well, because we're built to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. We are built to, to have children. We are built to pass on our lives to others, right? We are built for this. Uh, and, and our Genesis 3 rebellion resulted in our disintegration of relationships, right? Now we are socially and spiritually and personally. We've discovered sometimes that the only way to stay safe is to hunker down, to draw in the, uh, uh, um, you know, the drop, to, to raise the drawbridge and lower the portcullis. Nobody all get in there. I'll love it as long as it doesn't require, I mean, all kinds of things that are happening involved in that. And the problem is that we are built to continue. We are built to uh, be fruitful and multiply. Now, here's what happens. The brokenness, the disintegration, the self-preservation now becomes part of what we hand on to the next generation. It becomes now the through line of following generations. The Old Testament language that is used to describe this is curse. Now, here's the problem. Whenever I use that language, and there is a whole sphere of the church today that talks about generational curses, and I, I, I get it, but let's be clear. Curse is not something that makes something happen. 
as a, like in the modern witchcraft models, I'll curse you and so on and so on and so forth. In the Old Testament, curse is a description of what happens, not a cause. So when God curses in Genesis chapter 3, all he's doing, heartbroken, tears streaming down his cheeks, is describing what is going to happen because we've disconnected the cord of our dependence on him. When you lose this, guys, when you lose this, the earth can't cooperate with you. Relationships between women and men are going to be described and, and framed in, in, in challenging ways. Your desire woman is going to be for him. Your desire man is going to be to rule over her because she makes you feel insecure and afraid. Guys, this is what's going to happen. And you're going you're gonna to manage this in all the wrong ways. This is not what I had in mind. It's not what I built, but it's what you chose. I'm going to work as hard as I can to make sure that the damage is limited to two or three generations. I want you to know, if you get in alignment with me, that the blessings are going to go to thousands of generations. That's the way it works. That's what I want. But you've got to be aware of the ways that you're blowing yourself up and cut it out. Cut it out. The way this works, and, and, and this is, by the way, does that, does that help understand what that language means? It's, it's, it's covenant is God's character and God's orientation to, to us. God is, is, is love. He is filled with loving kindness and tender mercy, right? Uh, and as long as we are in the flow of covenant, as long as we are in alignment with love, as long as we are in alignment with the way God's intent for the world to work is, we will receive the character of God as filled with loving kindness and tender mercy. But if we choose, on the other hand, to go against the way of God, against love, against his loving kindness and tender mercy, we will receive that very same character of God as oppositional to us, and the language we will use is curse. It's like, for example, I've used this illustration with you all before, but, but if you decide that you want to go south on the southbound 405, you will receive the flow of traffic as blessing, more or less, right? But if you decide that you want to go north on the southbound lanes of the 405, there's a pretty good chance you will receive the very same flow of traffic as oppositional to you, as curse. Or better, better, here, here's a better one. Uh, given that it's summer on vacations, you go whitewater rafting. You put your canoe in, you put your kayak in, right? And, 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 and if you are heading downstream, you will receive the flow of the river or the stream as blessing to you. But if you get your kayak sideways, or if you get your kayak and you want to head back up the stream, you will receive the very same flow of the river as oppositional, as curse to you. The river hasn't changed. Your orientation to the river has changed. God's character hasn't changed. Your orientation to the character of God has changed. That's what the Old Testament means by curse. There's not an external thing that's making bad things happen. Curse is another word for consequences. So how do we break this? 
How do we reorient ourselves when we've been trained by our family system into patterns of self-destruction? By the way, do you, how many recognize that that is, oh, I have an awareness that when your kids get to be three years old, you will hear yourself saying things that you swore you would never say. You will hear the voice of your parents. Why? Because at three is about the age where you start to remember things, right? And now you start to echo them, right? It's like you never knew your parents when they were dating, so a lot of those Familiar patterns will not show up in your dating relationship, but they will show up when you get married because you remember your parents married. And all of a sudden, you've got a track to run on. It wasn't particularly healthy, wasn't really good, didn't go anywhere anybody wanted to go, but at least I know the road. And we're making good time. <laughs> right? How do we break the pattern here? And by the way, this is true in how you work. It's true in, in how you orient yourself to your Clients at work and to your employers at work and to your co-workers, uh, it, it, it works in your neighborhood, it works in your friendships, it works in all of your relationships. We have been trained in a muscle memory by the system we grew up with. Genetics is part of it, nurture is the other part of it, right? And unless we're aware of that, that will continue to be the loudest voice that we hear. When I was probably 19 or 20, uh, my dad had come up to college to visit me, and um, somebody said to him, uh, I really appreciate your son's ministry. And my dad said, well, I'm really glad somebody does. 30 years, 40 years, guess whose voice I hear, all right? Now, truth? My dad didn't mean anything by it. Jude and I were talking about this the other day. He, he wasn't trying to be mean or malicious. He was trying to make a bit of a joke. But it was driven by a fear that he grew up with in his family that we, insecure, masked by arrogance, would become prideful. And he already knew that my head was already 10 times too big for my body anyway. He knew who I was. And he was just trying to help me to remain some level of humility. It was awkward, it was clunky, it didn't help much. I've been trying to hear the voice of my dad's approval ever since. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? He couldn't do it, he couldn't do it. And now he's dead. Now I've got a choice. Am I gonna hear the voice of my heavenly father? You're my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased before you do anything at all. I love you, I'm proud of you, I'm pleased with you. Have a nice day. <laughs> right? Or am I going to hear the voice of my awkward, challenging, difficult father who was raised by an awkward, challenging, difficult dad who was raised as part of an awkward, difficult, challenging family system himself? Whose voice am I going to listen to? So the Old Testament and the New Testament both make the same challenge. It's time to leave home. Here's Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. This is why a man leaves his father and mother so that he can be united to his wife and they can become one flesh. Please notice, this is Genesis 2. This is before Genesis 3. This is before there is brokenness 
as a reason to leave home. These, this is before any of the crazy started to happen. And in the middle of that narrative, Moses steps out of the role of poet and says to the children of Israel who are being decimated by this curse, it's, guys, you got to leave home. Now, here's why he says it to men. It was assumed that women would leave their families of origin. What was happening is that they were simply joining into their husbands' families of origin and proliferating that crazy. Right? So Moses steps out of the, the, the storytelling mode and says, guys, this is our only hope. Y'all have to leave home. Sons as well as daughters have to leave their families, their, uh, their, their families of origin so that they have a snowball's chance of oneness. That's why. So here's, here's, how, here's how, by the way, does that make sense? So that's even good families you have to leave. Even families that are perfect, you have to leave. The, 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 the reset button has to get hit every single generation. Otherwise, we will inevitably carry through the sins of the fathers visited upon the sons and the grandsons. And sins here is not rebellion against God. Sins are patterns of brokenness. You with me? Here's how Jesus deals with it. Jesus, chapter 3 of Gospel of Mark, verse 31, really a challenging passage. Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone to him to call him. A crowd was sitting around him. They told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Listen to this. Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. He looked around at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. What's he doing? Very simply, same thing Moses told him to do. He is choosing an identity that is not defined for him by his family of origin. Now, I got to tell you, as you probably know, Mary was a Jewish mom. This did not go down well. I can guarantee you they had a hard conversation about this particular issue. Right? But remember, the reason they came in Mark chapter 3 to take him into custody was because they thought he'd lost his mind. And Jesus says, you all don't have that power over me. I have a new family that I'm oriented to. You're invited to join in, but simply because you gave birth to me does not give you special priority in that connection. By the way, this is what honoring your mother and father looked like. To become a whole person independent of them, enabling whole person interdependence with them that's what honoring your mother and father look like. Not slavish obedience to their every whim or wish. Not easily manipulated by the ways that they figured out of their insecurity to make you do what they think they need you to do. Do you, do you see what I'm after here? So Jesus models this for us. And, 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 and he, 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 he will always be Mary's son. He's not, 
And in fact, we'll talk about this briefly later on. He's, he's always going to be, can, but she and that relationship does not define who he is in his self-understanding. Here, here, here he goes and talks about it again. Uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 57. They're walking along the road. A man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He's just telling the guy, it's going to be really tough if you follow along. But notice this guy. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first, let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus isn't being a jerk. He's saying there are things more important than defining family identities. Here he goes on it again. Still another. I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Whoa, Jesus, do you want to like filter that a little bit? Anybody offended by that? Because if you aren't, you're not paying attention. What's he saying? He's not saying to diss your family and leave them under a rock somewhere. He's saying to grow up and out of the defining relationship that your family provided for you so that you can orient yourself to them as brother and sister, as part of the kingdom of God. This is, this is an important distinction, right? Here, look at, look at this down, down, down the road here, because it's not just our parents that he wants us to leave behind. It's those voices that we have allowed to remain in the grandstand of our mind that tell us lies that we continue to believe. Anybody recognize any of those voices? Maybe it's from a teacher. Maybe it's from a, a coach. Maybe it's from a parent. Maybe it's from a, a first lover. Maybe it's from, maybe it's from, and, you, and those voices just still pummel you. They're the, what I call the three o'clock in the morning voices. You know what I'm, you know what I mean? I have images. I have images of stupid, 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 stupid things that I have said to people. Right? And I can still see their faces. They just pop out in the middle of, 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 of an ordinary night's sleep. There they are. Just, 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 oh, God. It, let me pull those words back. Let me pull that back. No, 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 it's too late. Toothpaste is out of the tube. <laughs> right? You can't put it back in. It's gone. What do we do with that? Jesus has got a strategy. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Anybody else glad you're not defined by your stupid or other people's stupids? Large crowds, verse 25, Luke 14, traveling with Jesus, turning them, he said, if anyone comes after me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Whatever, whoever does not carry their own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. 
Here's the remedy. It's almost more painful than the disease, yeah? Everything's got to die. Everything's got to die. Why? Because nothing that dies. Wait a minute. I want to make sure I say this right. If a thing doesn't die, it can't be raised to new life. If it doesn't die, it continues to exercise influence. If it doesn't die, it continues to be a loud voice echoing in your head. So Jesus' strategy for... By the way, he's, he's not thinking this is bad news. He's giving us a strategy for new life. We have heard this. Take up your cross and follow me as if Jesus were, were delivering harsh news to us. No, he's giving us a strategy for wholeness. You have been crippled. You have been damaged. You have been broken by stuff that other people have done, by stuff that you've done. Bring it. Bring it to the cross. Kill it all. Right? And then, then we get to decide what we're going to do with this. Because Jesus, by the way, he might not think some of the bad stuff you've done is unsalvageable. Remember, three kinds of wounds. Some of it, he just heals completely. Some of it scars over and you twinge every once in a while. But some of it, he says, I can use this piece of junk. This will go nicely in the kingdom. Somebody needs your story of stupid. Bring it, bring it, bring it, right? Because frankly, I don't know what's good and bad. I mean, I got a boatload of stuff I'd like to see crucified, Right? But I got a whole bunch of other stuff that I think, actually, you know, at the end of the day, it's not that bad. It's, it's pretty good. It's, it's okay. I think, I think I can shoehorn it into the kingdom somehow. And Jesus just says, guys, you're not that smart. You're just not that smart. You don't know what's good. You don't know what's bad. You don't know what's damaging. You don't know what I can redeem. Just kill it all. And let me decide what gets raised to newness of life. Let me decide. Let me decide. Let me decide. So remember, some of you have had horrific things happen to you of a traumatic nature. Molested when you were, when you were an infant or a small child. And, it is a, and you feel the ripple effects of that all the way through, right? You come from a system in which alcohol or drug abuse is massively problematic and you have recognized the same addictive tendencies in your own soul. And it's gotten you into trouble. It's got you in places where you wake up in the morning you have no idea how you got there or who this person is that you're with. Right? And maybe it's not that dramatic. Maybe you've been able to Keep the skeletons from rattling too much in the closet? Can I just tell you? If the skeleton remains in the closet, it continues to have power. The way to disempower the skeleton is to invite it to come out and dance at the party. Then you discover it's just a skeleton. It needn't have that much power over me. I don't need to be running for the approval of somebody who's died and who could not have given it to me even if he had wanted to. Why do I need that voice when I've already heard the voice from the king, creator, lord, and lover of the universe that I am enough for him? Why do I need to be enough for everybody else? I recognize that the voices I'm running to 
are not the voices who will help me, and some people just need to be ushered out of the grandstand. Jesus says, take up your cross. He uses strong language when he says hate, doesn't he? Remember in the ancient Near East, that hyperbolic language is not uncommon. And it simply means in contrast. So our orientation to God and his kingdom makes all other orientations hatred in comparison. My love for Jesus is stronger by far than my love for my wife or my kids or my granddaughter. That's hard for me to say because I am part of the, the cult that worships marriage. That worships children, that puts them on idols, that creates unbearable burdens for them of perfection. Mm, no, don't get to do that. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? And Jesus says, come on, guys. Come on in, the water's fine. Stings a little bit at the beginning. Crucifixion will hurt. But I got to tell you, it's the only way home. It's a narrow gate, narrow way. It's the only way. It's the only way home. Peter is frustrated by what Jesus is saying. Mark chapter 10, Peter spoke up. Lord, we've left everything to follow you. Jesus said, truly I say to you, no one who has really left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me, the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields along with persecutions. Well, and in the age to come, eternal life. So notice what he's doing here. We need community. We need community desperately. Some of us need to be, in Scazzaro's words, in the emotionally healthy church, reparented by the kingdom. Reparented by the church. And here's the problem. Whenever you come to church, you run into everybody else's family system too. One of the things I have to do with pre-marriage counseling is ask people to just sit and think what your normal is and think what your fiance's normal is, and then discover the places at which your normals collide. Because they will, right? And they collide because I don't know anything other than this. I, I told you before, Judy and I had our, our first major knockdown drag out fight over how to do the dishes. <laughs> because I had a normal that of course was right. <laughs> I had been schooled in how one ought to do dishes. She apparently was raised by wolves. <laughs> Had no interest whatsoever in learning the right way to do dishes. Her solution, I know, idiotic as it sounds, when you do the dishes, you do them your way. When I do the dishes, I'll do them my way. As if that were a solution. <laughs> Tells you something about the idiot that I am and the gracious wife that I have received. Because 40 years later, we're still there. Still doesn't know how to do dishes. <laughs> Except now she does them for a living as the owner of a deli bakery. It, it, how dumb, how dumb, how dumb, how dumb, how dumb. My name is Bill. <laughs> I'm an idiot. Thank you. <laughs> Just need a 12-step program for stupidity, don't we? I mean... 
And Jesus says, no, just, just bring it. Just bring it. I love that OCD piece of you. I love it, really. No, there's some places I could really use that. Don't try and fix it yourself. You're just going to mess it up. Come, come, come. We attach our pain. We attach the voices. We attach all of those things to the cross. And let him determine what new life looks like. Let's pray. I'm going to invite you just to sit with this for a minute. I know that this isn't a, a, a one-and-done conversation with the Holy Spirit or with your friends or spouse or roommates. I know that you need to invite the Holy Spirit, and maybe can I just invite you over the course of these next several weeks to invite him to sit with you in this? But maybe it's worthwhile, even just in a few minutes now, going back two or three generations in your family system kind of an emotional history of your family, a genogram, if you will. How did marriage work? What were the roles of men or women in your family system? How was conflict handled? Can you identify some of those family secrets that no one was supposed to talk about? Attitudes, maybe even towards sexuality or finances or spirituality or politics? Who were the heroes? Who were the outcasts? Can you invite Jesus to help you leave home? Not for the sake of disrespecting, but for the sake of honoring. Can you invite the Spirit to look back over maybe some defining moments in your life, things that you've done, more particularly probably things done to you, which you were the victim. And you recognize, man, that's, that's driving a whole lot of stuff. Will you bring it to him? Places of pain, disappointment, heartbreak. The trauma that still lingers PTSD-like in your soul. Key words. Now's the time. Bring them to the cross. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.